Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Megan Mayhew Bergman. She is the author of Birds of a Lesser Paradise and Almost Famous Women. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, The New Yorker, Tin House, Plowshares, Oxford American, Orion, The Guardian, The Paris Review, and elsewhere. She teaches literature and environmental writing at Middlebury College. Her new book is How Strange a Season, which is published by our friends at Scribner. Megan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It feels like coming home in its own way. Oh, great. Well, it's an honor to have you here, Megan. And first, uh, I've been asking most authors a form of this question over the past couple of years, but you were the first person I've interviewed in uh, a year and a half or so who lives in Vermont. Uh, how, Megan, have these past couple of years been treating you? How has COVID-19 affected day-to-day life in your part of Vermont and how's Middlebury doing now um, or uh, the other environs in Vermont in late February, 2022? That's a great question. Um, so my Raleigh family, so my, my parents still live in Raleigh. My sister lives in Wilmington and my parents were laughing at me when the pandemic started. They said, you've been preparing for this for years <laughs> just because I live on a fairly isolated farm in Southern Vermont in a really mm-hmm. rural place. Um, so, you know, we were, we were careful nonetheless. We, I will say one thing I think was more challenging in a place that's already rural, already isolated was mm-hmm. connection, especially in a cold place where it's harder to be outside mm-hmm. together. Um, but I will say, you know, a small town has its charms and its generosity. And I think people supported each other actually quite beautifully throughout. And also, I'm sure anyone listening will understand this sentiment. Thank God for books, right? Yeah, <laughs> for good absolutely. yeah for sure. And um, are you teaching remotely or in person now? This is, we are, we are back in person at Middlebury. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. spring semester has just started and I'm mm-hmm. teaching a class on women in conservation, where mm-hmm. I like to bring some of my favorite Southern authors to the table, um, like mm-hmm. Janice Ray. And I'm teaching a class on word and image about the combination between text and visuals. So exciting classes this term. Yeah, excellent. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Megan. Um, Let's now dive into your excellent new story collection, How Strange a Season. Uh, First, I do not make a habit of asking about dedications, but because I'm recording from North Carolina and because our podcast is presented by Quail Ridge Books, uh, a bookstore I manage in North Carolina, I have to ask about yours. You dedicate your book to your North Carolina family. Uh, Can you tell us about your ties to North Carolina um, a little bit more and why you dedicated this specific book to your North Carolina family? Sure. I love that question. Um, My first two books are dedicated to my daughters mm-hmm. and I figured they would start taking it for granted if I, if I dedicated every, <laughs> every mm-hmm. book to them. So, uh, and honestly, how strange a season, um, is built on, on my Southern heritage in so many ways. And so I felt, you know, I hit my forties recently and I think with that came about of gratitude for my family of origin, mm-hmm. place of origin, uh, and just a nice moment at the front of a book to say, Thank you for all that you've given me. And that's that's really what that is. So I grew up in 
Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I was born in a little town called Gaffney, South Carolina, which makes mm-hmm. an appearance in the book and the story Peaches 1979, mm-hmm. where I imagine, I, I think I read somewhere that a serial killer was active during the few months that I was living in Gaffney and when I was born. And mm-hmm. it's sort of, you know, it's known for its giant peach water tower. So, that, you know, mm-hmm. that story is really, truly an origin story. And yeah, so I spent 16 years in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, bustling little mm-hmm. metropolis on I-95 and mm-hmm. then moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I graduated high school. And mm-hmm. then I went to Wake Forest University. I lived in Raleigh for a while while my partner was in veterinary school and I did graduate work at Duke. So like many Southerners, I've sampled mm-hmm. a lot of the ACC. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so my first 30 years were all below the Mason-Dixon line and then uh, love, <laughs> uh, the blessing and curse, uh, took me to Vermont, where I've lived um, for almost 12 years now. Nice. Thank you, Megan. So let's now talk about your opening story, Workhorse. Uh, the narrator's father in this story, speaking of the town he is from and um, about to return to, says, quote, people talk like they mean it there. I need things that feel real, end quote. Megan, my question is, uh, what town is he referring to? Where is he relocating from? And what does he mean by, I need things that feel real? Yeah, I, I, that's that's an interesting question. So I teach a class at Middlebury called uh, Landscape and Memory. Mm-hmm. And I'm always intrigued about the connection between person and place and mm-hmm. how deep that can feel for some people. And of course, there's a there's a part of me in that reflection. So I feel separated from my kind of place of origin and I, I feel dislocated often um, and I crave it and I miss it. Um, the humidity, the pine forests, my people uh, feeling understood and understanding in the way that people approach conversation. So the father in this story, and this is one of my favorite stories in the whole book, I feel like I, I got to really lean into some things that I care a lot about. Um, so I wrote this after having my book tour in Italy. And mm-hmm. I'd spent some time in Cagliari, which is an island um, or on an island, the Sardinia area of Italy, Southern Italy, and just such a sensory delight. You know, they, they talk about 12 types of wind there. There was always the scent of eucalyptus. There were people having coffee in the piazza. There was just, it was just incredibly atmospheric and sensory for me. So I was, I really felt Actually, it was, I got invited to a dinner in someone's home Mm -hmm. um, in Italy, and they prepared this beautiful meal from scratch, making homemade ricotta and gnocchi, and we sat out um, on the beach and we're drinking wine together, and it was just so atmospheric that I knew it's someplace that I would want to return, even fictionally, in my memory, and so that was I just thought how, what a blessing to be from a place like that and, and how deep that must run, even if you move elsewhere in the world. And I think as we do get older, we, we, many of us, you know, I won't speak for everyone, but I think many of us have a deep longing to return to some place that feels like home. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Megan. And this character, uh, this man, the narrator's father is bossy. Uh, He tells you what you will do with your life. Um, He tells the narrator, it's time you did something extraordinary. Uh, My question, Megan, is do you know people who are like this, who tell you what you are going 
to do with your life? And what does this character trait tell us about a person? Yeah, I think a lot about our mutual expectations, the pressures we put on one another in relationships and family systems in workplaces. Mm -hmm. I also think a lot about um, a particular brand of masculine leadership that's sort of valorized in business culture, which is, you know, the strong man, the person who always has the answers, the person everyone looks to, the person who, you know, there's a line in the story of like, we set our clocks to his needs or something like that. And it's mm -hmm. some personality types define family systems and, and how everyone and everyone else must must respond. And I've come to value autonomy and freedom to move. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, I like the tension in the story between uh, a character who has always been in control, always identified himself as an entrepreneur and a businessman. And then as he's aging, he, I think, feels his power over others, over himself, over the world really waning. And that presents a bit of an identity shift. Yeah, absolutely. Um Thank you so much, Megan. And speaking of uh, relationships, Zach, the character in this story workhorse, is described as the narrator's gently estranged husband. Uh, there are a lot of husbands in this collection, gently estranged or maybe not so gently. Uh, a lot of this, a lot of the relationships in this collection are very sad. Um, as a writer, Megan, were you? in a place in your life where you needed to write these stories of broken relationships, or is this a collection of stories that you have written over many years that you were able to collect and tie together thematically? Yeah, these were written over many years. Um, there, there are a good number of years between book two and book three for me where, you know, my girls were super young when I wrote my first two books and then, you know, they hit this age. I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate where, I was all in parenting and working full time and, and the writing got backburnered a bit, um, but I was still thinking and feeling. And so I will say, I think there comes a point for many people where the idealization of romantic love shifts. And so I think, you know, it's me being in my forties and witnessing things in my own life and the lives of other people I know where um, there's a little bit more of reality creeping into the, the picture versus idealism when it comes to love. And so I probably am exploring that in a good number of, of these stories. And then I think the odd thing that happens in workforce is that even though there's this estrangement, there's also a profound love underneath. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's the part that I think um, is powerful and intriguing is that we might find ourselves at odds with somebody and also need them, love them. Um, you know, that, that dissonance between what we think we want and what we need. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Megan. Listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Megan Mayhew Bergman.
I'm back with Megan Mayhew Bergman, author of How Strange a Season, which is published by our friends at Scribner. Megan, before the break, I talked to you about the theme of uh, sad or broken relationships running through this collection. And I now have another question about themes. Uh, There is a lot going on in this collection with terrariums and with glass structures in general. Uh, As a reader, this seems like a calculated decision. Uh, Why terrariums? And am I lumping uh, glass houses in with these unjustifiably or no? I love that you've observed that. I think and I think maybe observation is a part of, of that uh, mm-hmm. that theme moving through is that there's a fragility and a voyeurism, I think, that comes with an aquarium or a beautiful modern glass house on a cliff. I think it's also about precarity, you know, that there's so many of us either emotionally or physically or, you know, with our relationships with the natural world that, that are, you know, in a precarious place. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's that feeling of being on the brink of change or risk or watching others in that place that I think is part of that, that pattern that you see. Yeah. Thank you so much, Megan. And I could spend the entirety of this interview talking about Homeland, I think, but I won't, uh, as I do want to give our listeners a taste of a couple more stories at least. But first, one last question about Homeland. Um, I have a question about a quote from the narrator's father that reminded me of James Joyce. And that quote is, a man is made by forging himself against his father and homeland. Uh, can you unpack this quote? What does the narrator's father mean here? And what does this quote tell us about his character? Yeah, I love, uh, I think, let me, let me backtrack here. I think one thing I think about as a parent often is that we can't help but traumatize our children <laughs> with, with our committal values, the places mm-hmm. we live, you know, the distractions we have. And, and just our own humanity, like they're going to brush up against us. They're going to be bruised and shaped by us. And I feel the older I get, the, the more humble I feel about that. Um, you know, my intentions of being a great parent are there, but I'm, I also hope maybe <laughs> I'm parenting in a way where my daughters will have something, you know, to write a memoir about, you know, something to forge themselves against. And I think mm-hmm. when you have a potent character, a strong woman, a strong man, you know, and anyone who's living life in a full warm-blooded way, I think you're going to give a child or anyone something to forge themselves against. And, and so I I was really thinking about that. I mean, I I think this book is a lot about family systems and a lot about the ways that we conduct our lives impact the people around us for good or bad. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, So let's move on to the next story. The second story in this collection is called Wife Days. Uh, Rather than read the quote from the story, I will ask you, Megan, what are wife days. (laughs) What are wife days? I think any working woman probably has some notion of of what a wife day is. Um, This idea of some days we're on and some days we're off, or some days we want to be on and some days we want to be off. But I think, you know, for me at least, and I'm not fully this character, of course, you know, fiction is fiction, but I think the idea of some days we are fully in the domestic sphere. We're cooking, we're caring for others. We find meaning in that. And then I think some days there's the desire to be fully oneself out in the world, making decisions without consequence. Um, you know, I, you know, peak opportunities, peak moments. Uh, and that, that fascinates me, that divide. I mean, I feel it personally. I assume every 
assume most people feel that that um, desire to maybe be one or the other in the world sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Megan. And in this story, Wife Days, uh, the narrator does not allow the word crazy to be used. She calls it the C word. Um, why in this story and with this character is crazy a word that is disallowed? I think this character has come to understand that the women in her family run a little hot. <laughs> and, and I will I will say in, in my own lineage, there, there are women that have run a little on the hot side who are prone to passion and intensity. And I think she finds the, the C word triggering. You know, I think historically, it's been a word that's been used to control women, you know, hysterical women, hysteria, um, the reasons women were, were limited or put away without their own permission and in institutions. It's, it's long been a word to characterize unsavory behavior by women or self-forward behavior by women. So I think my character in the story just finds it triggering on multiple levels and um, also sort of just cringes at, at the thought of it. And, and maybe is also waiting for it and worried about it uh, in a self-conscious way. And, and there's some relief that it has never fully descended on her. All right. Thank you so much, Megan. Um, earlier, you mentioned a course that you've taught called Landscape and Memory. Um, and I do want to talk to you about setting the next story in this collection the heirloom is sort of a story involving suppressed male rage specifically suppressed male hedge fund manager rage it is a fantastic story uh, what i want to ask you about is setting this story is set in arizona where I lived for a year. And I love you Arizonans, but that place was just not for me. Uh, a great place to visit, but as a resident, I could not get out of there quickly enough. And my question is, was it a calculated decision in this collection to vary your settings as widely as possible? Many collections I've read recently are all centered around the same geographic area. Is it more interesting for you as a writer to switch the setting up from story to story? Yeah, I would say that happens somewhat organically for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm someone as a as an environmental journalist. I travel a bit, and I've I've spent time mm -hmm. in in different places, and sometimes settings grab me. But I think also for the idea of the collection, how strange a season this this feeling of bewilderment that the changes in the natural world are starting to press down on all of us in unique ways, or that we're having to pay for the bad decisions of our ancestors. Um, I think spreading that out geographically makes the idea of it come home a little harder and more intensely. And I was really thinking about what's it going to be like to inherit a water-starved property, because that will be the truth for a lot of people. Um, and so I wanted to sort of play that out about what can be done. Thank you, Megan. Uh, along these lines, one of your stories is set in Alaska. How is Alaska cold different from Vermont cold? I don't even think I can speak as an expert <laughs> to that. I think mm. one thing I'm fascinated by in a setting for a story is pressure. So if a landscape can exert pressure on a character, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And, and I felt as though these smaller communities in Alaska are somewhat similar possibly to small communities in Vermont where you've got a, an intense landscape and intense weather that you're, you're coping with on a regular basis. You have to support each other. It's very, it's a chosen community. You know, people don't often casually end up in those places. It's, um, 
you know, either mm-hmm. you were raised there and it's familiar or you're intentional perhaps about why you, why you go there. And in this case, it's, you know, someone following birds um, and studying birds, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think it's the intentionality and the pressure from the landscape that uh, is similar between the two. Yeah. Great. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Alaska and Vermont, two States that don't, don't have billboards. Yeah. So I, I love driving into Vermont after time away because I do feel some visual peace when I, when I drive onto the country roads, exiting New York into Vermont and there's no kind of visual hyperstimulation, you know, nothing advertising plastic surgery and guns and ammo. It's just uh, green mountains. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I wish we had that here in North Carolina. Um, but Megan, we have barely covered half of the stories in your book here. And as is often the case with a wonderful book, uh, I find that I have much more to talk about than we can possibly cover in the span of a podcast. But uh, finally, Megan, I do want to ask you about Indigo Run, uh, which is the length of a novella and is positioned as the penultimate story of this collection. And this is another writerly question, Megan, as opposed to a readerly one. Why position Indigo Run at the end end of this collection? And what was your thought process behind the sequencing of this collection in general, especially one uh, where the stories are so thematically connected, whether that was um, authorial intent or not? Yeah, I love I love the idea of ordering. It's um, I tell my students, you know, I've been teaching writing for about twelve years, and I tell my students that ordering stories is a little bit like ordering an album. You know, back in the seventies when people used to listen to albums all the way through, is that you're you're thinking about the reader's experience. And and I I will say that's one of the changes I've made most as I've matured as a writer is thinking about the reader and how does the reader feel throughout the book and what am I leaving the reader with and what will the resonance ideally feel like as they close the book. You know, I want, I know that feeling I crave as a reader where I feel something come together, but it's not too tidy and, uh, but it has a lasting effect, something to kind of hold with you as you move through the world for a day or two after, after closing the book. And so Indigo Run is, um, yeah, as you said, it's, it's a novella. It's deeper than anything I've written in terms of length and character study and, and ideas. And, um, I wanted to explore what it's like when we hold on to an unhealthy past for too long. And can that be toxic? Can we even outrun it? Is there ever the possibility of redemption? You know, as somebody who was raised in the South, I think a lot of us think about redemption. Um, and, and so that arc intrigued me and that question intrigued me and, and the idea of identity um, as individuals, how we negotiate our relationship with our ancestral history And I also wanted to do a deep study of place. I mean, I I know the exact point on the Ashley River um, in South Carolina where that story is set. And I've been there several times and the setting wouldn't leave me alone because I always find along the coastal South, especially in South Carolina and Georgia, the, the tension between intense natural beauty and a complex social history is something that inspires me and intrigues me, uh, pains me. You know, I think all good narrative comes from tension, and I feel I feel that tension very sharply as a human and an artist when I'm there. So that book is really my exploration of that idea, and then also of how women 
construct their lives, how they wield power in scenarios where they may not have access to power. How is it found? How is it negotiated? Um, and what, what do we do with our anger? <laughs> Which I think is, is sort of the, the final arc in, in the book. Yeah, thank you, Megan. And I love uh, your comparison of the sequencing of a short story collection to the sequencing of an album, as I am still an album junkie. That's a barometer of what I will and will not listen to for new music, as if something is um, a great album from beginning to end. If your book, this book, How Strange a Season, was an album, what album would it be? Great question. I mean, I wouldn't dare to say Thriller, which I think, you know, I was just making a case to my daughters about mm -hmm. how that is the greatest album of all time. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say How Strange a Season is mm -hmm. not analogous, I think, to, to Thriller. Um, I think, yeah, what, what album would it be? You know, I'm a, I'm a vinyl collector and mm -hmm. my next book is a nonfiction book on jazz. And so I love I loved the concept of, mm -hmm. of an album. Mm -hmm. I honestly will have to give that one some thought. Yeah, please do. And um, um, an, uh, a book about jazz in your vinyl collector. Have, do you listen to Kamasi Washington? I don't. That's not one of my, my recent picks. Do you recommend? I do. In my opinion, um, I, I love jazz and have done a deep dive into the genre um, for a while. But in my opinion, Kamasi Washington, he's a player in, along the um, evolutionary lines of like Coltrane or some others maybe. But he put out a three-hour long album called The Epic either in 2015 or 2016 that I think is the best jazz album that's been released in my lifetime, at least. Um, that's wonderful. I've been in a Dorothy Ashby phase, wow. so jazz harping, um, Afro harping. That album is one of my favorites right now. And Charlie Parker with strings mm -hmm. has me. Um, so those are two that, that are on rotation, pretty heavy rotation for me. Nice. Well, thank you, Megan. And I look forward to reading that next book. Um, and thank you for writing this excellent collection. I can't wait to turn our customers onto it. And I look forward to having you in store at Quail Ridge Books on April 6th at 7 p.m., uh, where you will be signing copies of this wonderful book. Listeners, I have been speaking with Megan Mayhew Bergman, author of How Strange a Season, which is published by our friends at Scribner. Megan, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Megan Mayhew Bergman for joining me. Signed copies of How Strange a Season can be purchased from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.